Well, I'm going to ask you to, to do a bit of an emotional shift. Uh, this is Mother's Day, and we're certainly here to honor our mothers and to think about our mothers. Uh, but for our message today, I, I really want to stay in this place of awakening where we have been for several weeks. And so I'm going to ask you just to kind of shift your heart into this place of where God has been at work in recent weeks, moving us to, uh, to the call to a, the spirit-filled life, to a call to awakening to the fullness of God in every part of our lives. Uh, last week, we, uh, we used the image of a house, which was one of the images that our speaker for Call to Awakening this year, Mark Nicewander, brought. We walked through that house. Um, I'm not sure what happened, but something just got really loud, didn't it? Um, so we walked through this house and helped you to understand what, the, what it looks like for the whole house to be impacted by the life of the Spirit. We said that there is, as human beings, we are, we are by, uh, we're, we're made to both live in a natural world, but also to live in a supernatural world. And so the call was to be open, not only on the natural side, but to be open on the supernatural side and to allow the spiritual to impact every part of our life. Well, today I want to use a different image. And this was an image that came not so much out of the weak of call to awakening as much as uh, the, the week of prayer and fasting that preceded it. If any of you participated in the daily devotionals during prayer and fasting, one of the mornings, I don't remember which one, but one of the mornings I shared a devotional that came from uh, the work of A.W. Tozer. It actually was an excerpt that came from the book, The Path um, to Power, from a chapter called Miracles Follow the Plow. Uh, It is a reflection on a very brief passage in the book of Hosea. Hosea 10, 12 says this, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is a time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Now, I want to share with you that excerpt. This is an excerpt that is um, I've edited it a little bit. I've changed it to make it a little bit more um, understandable in our time. And uh, A.W. Tozer was an incredible writer um, back in the mid-1900s. And I've tried to make it a little more contemporary. But I want to ask you just to listen to these powerful words about the difference between the plowed life and the fallow life. Tozer writes... Here are two kinds of ground, fallow ground and ground that has been broken up by the plow. The fallow field is snug, smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. Safe and undisturbed, it sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment. But it is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. It will never see the miracle of growth. It will never know fruit because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. Directly opposed, the cultivated life has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protective fence has been opened to admit the plow that will break its ground. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. 
The field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset, turned over, bruised, and broken. But see the rewards. The seed shoots up into the daylight its miracle of life. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, mature, and bear fruit. Nature's wonder follows the plow. There are two kinds of lives also. For examples of the fallow life, we need not go far. They are all too plentiful among us. The man of fallow life is contented with himself and the fruit he once bore. He does not want to be disturbed. He smiles in tolerant superiority at revivals, fastings, and the travails of fruit-bearing and the anguish of advance. The spirit of adventure is dead within him. The curse of such a life is that it is fixed, both in size and in content. To be has taken the place of to become. He has fenced himself in by the same act, and by the same act has fenced out God and the miracle. The plowed life is the life that has in the act of repentance thrown down the protective fences and sent the plow of confession deep into the soul. Such a life has forsaken the safety of death for the peril of life. Discontent, yearning, contrition, courageous obedience to the will of God. These have bruised and broken the soil till it is ready again for the seed. And as always, fruit follows the plow. Such a one can testify, and the hand of the Lord was upon me there. I want to ask you this morning a very simple but probing question. Is there a time in your life when you can say with certainty, the hand of the Lord was on me there? Is there some point in your life where the the movement of God and the work of God was so rich and so clear that you and everyone who knew you, something is different. The hand of the Lord is on your life. The hand of the Lord is upon you there. If you're here this morning and there is a time when you can uh, look back and say, yes, this was that time. I am betting that deep down in your soul, there is a desire to be able to say that once again. One of the things that Mark said when he was with us that I loved is that because he experienced the great revival of Asbury College in 1970, he said, I have been ruined for the, uh, the status quo when it comes to living the Christian life. I have been ruined for revival. What he was saying there is once you have tasted a profound move of God in your life, nothing else will ever quite compare. For some of us, it's just simply a matter of the fire going out and we begin to get sucked back into the things of life and into the paths of life. And little by little, without us even hardly knowing it, the fire begins to die. Some of us have just outright neglected or ignored it and it has, it has died down quickly. But I want to say this morning that if you have ever known the hand of the Lord upon your life, I am betting that deep in your soul there is this spark. It may just be a flicker, 
But there is this flicker of a spark that says, I want that back. I want it back. Now, some of you would have to honestly say, I, I don't know that there's ever been a time in my life where I could say for sure the hand of the Lord was upon me there. My prayer for you this morning is that God will so move on your heart the desire for that, for Him and for His work in your life, that you will not be able to leave this place without desiring your heart to say, Lord, I will not settle for anything less than that. I desire to see you moving again in my life. And then my question to all of us is this. Why can't that time be now for us? I want to say that this whole call to awakening is without question a call to us as individuals to have our hearts awakened to the fresh move of God's Spirit. But there is also a sense in which God wants to move among a people. And as a people, the question would be, Lord, we want, or not the question, but the cry of our hearts would be, Lord, we want to see your hand upon us now. Your hand upon us now. This call to awakening, I pray that you understand this, is not a revival in the traditional sense of the word. Just a series of meetings uh, with the speaker who comes in. The heart behind the call to awakening was that God would stir our hearts and our souls, not just our emotions. If this is nothing more than a, a, a movement of emotions to create the sense of movement or the sense of momentum, then we will have missed our boat. This is really a call of God to stir our hearts, to awaken us to fresh movement of His Spirit. It is a call to forsake the safety of death for the peril of life. I'll tell you, when I read those words in that devotional, it just cut right to my core. I was like, because you think about it. I mean, think about the words. Don't we tend to think of this in in the other way? We think of death as dangerous. We think of death as as perilous and life as safe. But the truth of the matter, when it comes to life that is truly life, it is just the opposite. Death, there is nothing, there is no cost, there is nothing to be done in a place of death. Death is completely done, it's finished, it's over. Life is an adventure, life is calling us always to more. And this is a call to forsake the safety of death and to open our hearts to the peril of life. It is to, to, to let God take us into a place of, of being disturbed, of, uh, of being stretched or called into the, the unknown or into new territories of growth. It is a willingness to let God upset our lives or even our life together as a church in order to bring new life where there has been old. That is the fertile life and the call to the fertile life. Now, It's really, you know, over the years, we've made it very, very clear over and again that this thing called salvation is ultimately God's work. Only God can save us. And let me just say as well, only God can give us what we need to live the Christian life. I'm not talking here about um, something that we must do that God can't do. What I'm saying is that there are some things that God will not do until we react, until we act or respond. There's a sense in which God says here, because he does in this passage. In Hosea, it's interesting that God says, you must plow up the field of your life. 
There is a part that only God can do, but God says, I will not do my part if you refuse to do your part of plowing the field. Only God can bring forth the fruit. Only God can bring life. Only God can bring forth growth. But God says, I am not able to bring those things if the life of your soul, if the soil of your life is fallow. If the soil of your life is fallow, break up the fallow ground and let me bring the life that only I can bring. Now, what does that mean? I mean, what does that mean practically to, to break up the fallow ground? If you look at the passages in Hosea, and there's a similar one in Jeremiah 4.3 as well. If you look at those passages, it's very clear, first of all, that breaking up the fallow ground involves repentance. Uh, God is speaking to the Israelites at a time when they have completely abandoned him and chased after other idols. And the Lord says to them, renounce the idols, turn from the idols. And then secondly, he says, come after me come after me. He says, return to me, seek me. And so there is this dual work in the plowing of the field. There is that openness to say, Lord, search my heart, show me whatever is in my life that's causing you not to be able to work in a deeper way. But Lord, I'm also coming after you. I am pursuing you. There is a sense in which God will give us what we desire. God will give us what we desire. If we desire little, we will have little. If we desire much, God will give much. But we must desire it and we must come after it. You know, as I'm thinking about this whole image of a fallow and a plowed field, this taps very much into to my, um, uh, my uh, years as a child, as a teenager, even in college years, of growing up in an agricultural society. Uh, many of you know that I grew up in a small town south of here. Um, what you may not realize is just how rural it really is. There's only 6,000 people in the whole county. The entire county, 6,000 people. And it's an average-sized county, so it's not a teeny-tiny space. It's the same size as most other counties in our state, but only 6,000 people. Do you know what there's a whole lot of? Fields. There's a whole lot of fields. Everywhere you look, there are fields that are used for, for growing crops. And so as a, as a college student, one of the ways that I worked my way through college was to work in the summers as a cotton and peanut scout. Now, you're going to laugh when I tell you what this involved. But let me just tell you, it made really, really good money, and it really helped me to get through college without much debt. It was a great job in terms of what it paid, but this is what you had to do. So four or five five days a week, you had to get up really early in the morning because you wanted to beat the sun. All of this takes place in the middle of the hot Georgia summer, June, July, and August. You get up at 6.30 in the morning, get out there at daybreak, and you're walking through peanut or cotton fields all day long looking for insects. Looking for insects. You're looking for, in cotton, boll worms and boll weevils. Peanuts, you're looking for other worms and other insects that do damage. And your job is to go through the field. You had to go get trained first. And then you went through the fields and you learned how to determine whether or not the problem was bad enough to treat. So you would walk through, count the insects, see exactly what was going on in the field. Then you went to the farmer and you either said, hey, you're good, no need to do anything, your fields look great. Or... You said, you've got an infestation of this, and this is what you need to do to fix it. 
that's what I did all summer long. I can assure you that as I went through those summers, there were many times where I said, Lord, why in the world am I doing this? Uh, Surely you're going to give me some life lesson out of this to make this worthwhile. Um, It was a tough job. And certainly God used it to shape my character and to shape my work ethic. But I will tell you that there was one thing that became crystal clear in this job that has, has always been a metaphor to me of the spiritual life, and that's this. It takes absolutely zero effort to grow an outstanding crop of weeds. Nothing. If you want an outstanding crop of weeds, you don't have to do anything at all. In fact, that's the one thing you must do is nothing. Don't mess with it. Don't bother it. Just let it go, and you will have yourself a great crop of weeds. But if you want something of value, corn, cotton, peanuts, soybeans, it takes a tremendous amount of effort if you've never been on a, if on a farm or if you've never seen the life of a farmer, you know that farmers have to, they have to plow the field. They have to fertilize it. They have to, they have to put out chemicals to, to kill the, the weeds. They have, to, they have to take care of it over and over again. They have so many things they must do in order to bring just a decent cop, crop of something valuable. Out of that experience, there is a spiritual equivalent. There are some things that only God can do. But God has said very, very clearly, if you're not willing to plow up the, the field of your life, there are things that I cannot do. I can't, you will not experience the fullness of the spiritual life. I'll go back to what I said earlier. I, I really have come to believe that when it comes to the fullness of the spiritual life, God will give us as much as we desire. If we're satisfied with a fallow life, if we're satisfied with enough, if we're satisfied with just getting by, we will never know the adventure and the fullness of the life of the Spirit. But if we are hungry and if we're yearning for more, and if our desire is to experience the abundant life that Jesus came to bring, we must plow up the soil of our souls and allow the Lord to do His work. I mean, this is a theme that runs throughout Scripture over and over again. I'm not talking about the soil theme here, but the theme of seeking and passionately coming after God. Listen to Jeremiah 29, 1 through 11, or 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart, with all your heart. We see the same thing in Matthew 7. Um, In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, uh, ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will receive. These are things that he says, keep, keep coming after it. This is not a one-time thing. It's a continual seeking of the Lord. And God says, I will bring you the things of the Spirit as you do that. I think also the Beatitudes, I don't have this one on the overhead. But in the Beatitudes, one of the Beatitudes is that Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for you will be filled. Who is filled? Those who are hungry and thirsty after the things of God. Um, We can jump ahead to Philippians 3 and and see the writings of Paul. 
And Paul writes this in Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me homeward in Christ Jesus. Now, this is interesting in Philippians. In the book of Philippians in chapter 4, Paul speaks about contentment. Contentment. And Paul actually says that contentment ought to be a, uh, a, a, a marker or a, 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 a fruit of the Christian life. As Christians, we should be content. So you may ask the question, well, wait a second, so what is it? Is it contentment or is it straining? Is it contentment or is it passionately pursuing? Here's what I want to make sure we understand. In Philippians 4, when Paul is talking about being content, here's what he says. He says, I have learned to be content with little or much. I have learned to be content in every circumstances, whether I am blessed greatly or have nothing. And then he says one of the most famous Christian, one of the most famous scriptures in all the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I want to remind you there that Jesus was not speaking to a football team at halftime when he said those words. Uh, that's probably one of the places that we use that more than anything else is, we, you know, we want to send the message, oh, you can do anything in Christ. But what Jesus, what Paul was really saying here, I can live in any circumstances because I have Christ Jesus. I can be content in any situation because of what I have in Christ Jesus. But here's the thing. When Paul speaks of contentment, what is he talking about? He's talking about contentment in regards to the things of this world. I will be content in regards to the things of this world. But when it comes to the things of the Spirit, Paul says, I will press on. I will keep pressing forward for more and more and more. And I think one of the tragedies of the Christian life for many is this, that we get that completely flipped around backwards. We are content to just get by spiritually. But we long for and crave and yearn for the things of the world. Our contentment is in the wrong place. Yes, God wants us to be content. But where he wants you to be content is in regards to the things of this world. Where he longs to put a fire in your soul that will always desire more is for the things of the Spirit. But I want to tell you that there is always more. There is always more. And God is always calling us into more. But to do that, we've got to be willing to let the Spirit upset the soil of our lives. We've got to be willing to let the Spirit come in and and begin to do His work to disturb us out of the status quo and into that place where there is life that is truly life. Now, I couldn't help but think about Jesus' parable of the soils When I was thinking about this devotional on the fallow and plowed ground, Jesus told a parable. We call it the parable of the soils. And he says that in this parable that uh, there was a man sowing seed. He later explains that the seed is a symbol of the kingdom of God. He is sowing seeds of the kingdom of God. And he says that seed landed on four different kinds of soil. 
One of them was the hard path where uh, feet are constantly treading and where even animals and, and machinery is moving. It would be the equivalent today of concrete for us. And the seed that fell there was quickly eaten by the birds and, and, and taken away. That, that's a symbol of the hardness of heart that completely rejects the word of God. But then he says uh, there is, uh, there's rocky soil. And this is soil that has a thin layer of dirt, but immediately under it is a solid layer of rock. He says in that kind of soil, the soil can can spring up and, and, and roots can come out of the seed. But the soil is so shallow that very quickly the heat of the sun or the rush of the flood of rain can completely wash it away and it never gives life. And then he said there's a third kind of soil. And this is soil that he called thorny soil. He said, this is soil that's got some depth to it. And the seed lands and it plants its roots deep and it, and it even springs up and there's, there's a sign of life. But as soon as the life begins to thrive in the plant of the kingdom, there are thorns that grow up around it. Thorns and weeds that begin to choke the life out of it. You see, there's only so much nourishment in the soil. And if the, the, uh, the, the thorns and the weeds begin to, to take much of that, uh, that nu- nutrition and nourishment, then the, soil, the, the plant of the kingdom begins to wither and die. Jesus said that the thorns represent the worries of this world and the deceit of wealth. The worries of this world and the deceit of wealth are things that he said can choke out the life of the kingdom. And then there is soil that is fertile soil. This is soil that's been tilled, soil that's been turned over, soil where all of the, uh, the things that contaminate it have been pulled out. And this is soil that is soft, soft, soil that is ready to receive, that longs to receive the life of the seed. And in that soil, it can plant uh, its roots deep. It will grow. It will multiply itself 30, 60, even 100-fold. There is tremendous fruitfulness in it. Now, we typically think about that parable in regards to people that we're trying to reach with the gospel. And we just recognize that some people are not going to respond at all because their hearts are hardened. Some people may respond or they may have the appearance of responding but there's rocks in their soil or there's thorns in their life that choke it out. But those who receive it and allow it to go deep will be those who will bear the fruit of the kingdom. But I want to ask us for a moment to think about this in terms of even the life of the believer. Because here's another thing that I learned as a crop scout all those years ago. Fallow ground does not, I mean, uh, tilled or fertile ground does not stay fertile forever. It doesn't remain fertile automatically. The farmer has to come back every year and replow the ground, reestablish the ground, re-nurture the ground. So the farmer is constant. This is something that the farmer is doing over and over again. And I want to say for us that this is a work that must continue in our Christian life. And, and the question is this: So, if, even for Christians, what can be the what can be the symbol of that hard path? where the word of God is not able to continue going deep into our souls. I think it's the unexamined life. It's just the unexamined life. The life in which someone says, hey, I'm completely and totally content with what I've got spiritually. I don't want more. I'm not going to let God search my heart. I'm not going to let God come in and disrupt my life. I am completely satisfied with what I have right now.
That is the path. The rocky soil, I, I believe we can look back to our series on, from the wholeness series. And I would remind us that we talked about things in our lives, that, uh, things from our past, past hurts, past failures, past things that people have done against us. And we said that God longs to come in and to heal those places of hurt, to set us free from those strongholds of the past. Because if we don't, they can become boulders of bitterness or boulders of resentment, of unforgiveness. And I will say that those are things that can absolutely, like rocks, begin uh, to, to make it impossible for the work of God to continue going deeper in our lives. And then the thorns are exactly what Jesus said they are. The thorns are the worries of this world and the deceit of wealth that, that seeks to capture our hearts. You know, Jesus said in, uh, in Matthew 6, uh, Jesus said, Matthew six twenty one, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think we tend to, to believe that love follows the heart. But Jesus actually says here, it's the other way around. Your heart is going to follow what you love. Whatever you value, whatever you love is a thing that's going to have your heart. And so if our love is for the things of this world, the things of this world will eventually have our hearts. But if it is the things of the Spirit, things of God that we love, that we value, then those are the things that will have our hearts and our ground will be clean and free. Now, there's a, there's a whole other area here that Jesus doesn't talk about. But it just, it, it, when we were praying during prayer week, when we were talking about this particular devotional, there was a point where the Lord just kind of gave me this vision. I saw this picture of a field that was completely littered with garbage. It wasn't thorns and it wasn't rocks. It was garbage. I mean, a field that was, you know, foot thick in, in garbage. And I would just say that I think in this, in this vision that the garbage represents the sin that we bring into our own lives. I mean, garbage is that which, which does not honor God and which displeases God. It is that which contaminates our soul because we're giving access to our life to the enemy. So garbage becomes a contaminant to our soul. And let me just say, by the way, that sometimes people will dump their garbage on your soil. It's not just your own sin and the things that you may do. It's sometimes the garbage of other people that they will dump on your life. But this garbage can accumulate. And this garbage can contaminate the soil so that it becomes infertile. Uh, interestingly, just this past week, uh, my youngest son, Aaron, and I had a, a trailer load of garbage from our house that we needed to take to the dump. And so we took it to the landfill, and I saw my vision in real color right before me. We, we came up into this landfill, and it was just completely covered in garbage, and there was no life there at all. It was just completely contaminated. Uh, things will not grow on that land because garbage has been dumped there over and over again, and it has choked out all life. I, I want to ask you this morning, if you will, to... Allow God to disturb your heart. I want to ask you this morning, if you will ask yourself these questions. First of all, what is the state of your soil? What is the state of your soil? In our supervision sessions with our staff, we ask each other on a monthly basis, what's the state of your soul? 
Uh, I think this is a similar question, really. What is the state of your soil? Is your soil fertile, or is it littered with rocks or thorns or garbage? I mean, what would you say today is the state of your soil? Is it fertile, or is it filled with one of those other things? And then I would ask you this, would you be willing today to forsake the safety of death for the peril of life? And I really want you to hear this call. It is, it is to forsake the safety of death, to accept the peril of life. Now, I know that God may be convicting some of you about things that are in your life that he didn't want there, but I want you to hear that in my spirit, the real call of this message is not one that is meant to fill you with guilt or shame. This is a message that is calling you to life. It is an invitation to say that the enemy wants your life fallow. The enemy wants your life infertile. The enemy does not want you to experience the fullness of the life of God or the fruit that God longs to bring forth in your life. He will do anything to keep you here, but your father today is inviting you into life. But he does say, you must plow up your fallow ground. He's not going to do this for you. He's going to ask us to to plow up the fallow soil of our own life so that he can do what only he can do in the Spirit. And I'm asking you today to, to give serious thought to that question. I want to ask our worship team to come out. I want to ask our prayer team to go ahead and come up and to be ready to pray um, with those who may need to respond. But I want to ask you today uh, where to, 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 to seriously let the Spirit search your heart and show you where you are. And I want to ask you to take a step of boldness that really is an expression of your willingness to plow up the fallow ground of your soil. I mean, what do we say that is? It's a willing to be disturbed. It's a willing to, to let God do something that's uncomfortable. I, I want to tell you that deciding to take a step in a new direction is uncomfortable. But I want to ask you to take it. Let me, can I even just say this? I think one of the things about that shallow soil that is most heartbreaking, Jesus said that there will be some who are represented by that shallow ground who will respond with joy, but then the hardships of life will come, and because the soil is so shallow, they will quickly die away. I believe that is, a, that is an image, that's a picture of many who have had experiences of the stirring of God's Spirit. God's Spirit is stirred in your hearts, and you have even felt conviction or even the desire for more, but you never really acted on it. You never actually let the plow come and disturb your life and, and, and begin to bring newness into your life. And because there was not that willingness to take steps of action, the soil remained very shallow. What I'm asking you to do today is to say, okay, I don't want shallow soil. I want rich, deep soil. I I, I want to act on this. These altars are here. If you want to just come and pray and just get on your knees and say, Lord, I don't want to leave this place until I know that I have responded to your call. Then come. They're open. Just come and pray. If you want someone to pray with you, if you need someone to just agree with you in prayer that today 
you are asking the Lord to begin to do his work in your life, that you're ready to plow up the fallow ground of your soil, I would ask you to come and just pray with one of these who are standing here. If not, you may just need to stand and worship God and thank him for the life that he's given you. But let's stand, and before we leave today, let's take a few moments to respond to where the Spirit is moving and stirring.